Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You want again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you have done everyone and welcome to Soft Child Abuse Now Scan Radio Show number 3147 This show is brought to you by NASCA the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse And here's the mission statement of NASCA We have a single purpose at NASCA address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA. Preventing, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And since today is Tuesday, we have a call-in show, call-in um, question and answer discussion with a survivor professional using an open mic forum. We feature a survivor professional co-host who will field topics brought to the episode by you, the listener. Tonight, the special co-host is Pastor Deborah Schley, who grew up all over the world in a military family where her mother was mentally ill. She is now a survivor professional. Living in Tennis School of Florida, she's trained in ministry, mental health, working with substance abuse, and is a trauma-informed social worker, all in one. She volunteers with many community organizations. Pastor Deborah says she can minister by text, phone, Skype, in person, and however the Lord directs her, 24-7. 
she teaches that humans have three parts, being of spirit, soul, and the physical body. I'm sorry, of coffee. <clears throat> we look forward to Pastor Deborah being an active member of the NASCAR family for a long time. And she has already been a member of the NASCAR family for a long time. And um, I want to say before I, before I introduce Deborah to speak, I want to say that Victoria is here also, and she will answer the phone when you call in. And the number to call in is 646-595-2118. Please call in, and you can ask Pastor Deborah a question or make a comment. And um, that would be awesome. And we also have Philip on the line, Pastor Deborah. So now I'll turn it over to you. Good evening, NASCA family and listeners. This is Pastor Deborah. The Gopi Love, Love is Here's Global Spiritual Teaching Ministry with a YouTube channel called The Hidden Kingdoms and a couple others. And I brought up to Annie tonight that one of the main things I always work with is healing. The event has occurred in childhood, and it's left a lifetime of destruction and damage. And at NASCA, they're so good at trying to help people get on a road, get on a path, and get some healing. And that could be anything from emotional, physical, mental, biological. And so tonight... um open to any questions about anything, really. Um, or we can just go in a direction of why is healing important? What does it look like? How do you get on it even if you're quite old? Are, is it possible to get healing? And what are you looking for to be healed? So those are just some areas. So I'll turn it back over to you, Miss Annie, and you can introduce Philip and anybody else. All right, well, let's introduce Philip and see if he has any questions for us. Let's see. Hello, Philip, are um, you there? Hi, how long have you been a pastor for? Since about 1995. And about 10 years before that, I was a licensed clinical mental health counselor and I was nationally certified as a clinical mental health counselor. I did a lot of uh, legislative work for mental health counselors, both at the national and state level. I was in private practice. I worked in rehabilitation institutes, worked with disabled, worked doing neuropsychological testing with brain injury patients, spinal cord injury patients. Did a lot of teaching about biofeedback. Um, and then I did uh, private practice and going into nursing homes. I've worked in juvenile detention centers, worked in the jails. Um, so I had had a variety of what we'll call secular type work. And then um, I began wanting to pray with people more in the hospital and talk about the Bible more. And so I was sort of, I put my license down and I went to Bible school Almost got ordained, but I didn't because I didn't fit with that particular uh, non-denominational event. I had started working with hardcore, multi-generational Satanists and witches and the occult, very powerful and deeply involved in spiritual things that I knew nothing about. 
and that kind of frightened the denomination. And I was dealing with things that they didn't quite believe in. And so we kind of parted our ways, and I went non-denominational. And I never really was called to have a church church building, but more like an outreach. So I've done it on, have a website, and I've done it in a flea market. You know, I do it at Walmart, more of just wherever you go. But I got thrown into the, you'd say, the deep end of the swimming pool, and I had to learn very, very fast. I had to read a lot of books true stories, I had to learn the horrible, ick, bad stuff, and I had to face a lot of darkness that people went through, and I had to understand what was going on, and I spent a lot of time just by myself because the things I was learning, eh, the church didn't quite believe in, and you didn't want to talk to people about it because they didn't quite believe it either. I struggled with it. And so I just studied, and I've been doing it since about 1995. Still doing it. Just, you know, doing it on YouTube, uh, doing it on the phone, doing it at Walmart. You know, that kind of thing. Does that answer your question? Yes. So where did you go to Bible school? It was called the Brownsville Revival. No, no, I didn't go there. I'm sorry. Uh, what the I was working through the Assemblies of God, and what they had was they had a lot of uh, people who wanted to be a pastor, but they were working a job. They call them bivocationals. So I did it at, like a uh, at home course. You had about I don't know three four hundred books you had to read. I was under the a pastor, an associate pastor at the church. We had to learn how to get sermons, write sermons. I was a part of his a group of people who were going to an actual um, school that was here in Pensacola. I was working a job, had a family, so I did all mine. You know, you get the book, you read the book, you take, they send you the test, you send the test back. You were always under supervision, um, volunteered with the church. Because uh, at first I thought that maybe, you know, Christians at that time wanted to have licensed counselors to pray with them like they're Christian counselors. And there really wasn't a lot of them at that time. So I had a really good idea that the church would hire me, pay me maybe twenty five, thirty thousand, 30000 and the other Assembly of God churches in town would kick in some money, and I'd be a therapist for the Christians, and they could come for free. Well, that didn't work out. So I didn't have a job, I gave, and I gave up my license. And then I started volunteering in every way I could at the church, uh, outreach ministries, the jail, uh, women's ministries, conferences, and stayed under the supervision of the senior pastor and the other associate pastor, kept reading the books, taking things. actually went to my ordination service, and, you know, they laid hands on you and said, oh, God's got a call on your life. I became licensed. I was a few steps away from being ordained. Uh, and then as you got into it a little bit more, you learned uh, there was a certain kind of box you had to fit in, which be it was be a full-time senior pastor, associate pastor, children's pastor, youth pastor, praise and worship, or uh, an evangelist. And you couldn't be an evangelist until you had served two years full-time staff as pastor. Well, I was more outreach. I was dealing with some really uh, 
parts. And uh, so they didn't really want to hire me. There wasn't going to be a place. And in most denominations, if you don't have a doctorate of divinity, going to the right school and um, going to get on staff full time, which a lot of females, you know, didn't back then. You just were on luck. And uh, you could run the women's ministry, but usually that was the pastor's wife and a few of their friends. So I was kind of, I got the knowledge uh, and I got the experience. I had a real hard time learning how to write sermons because the assemblies wanted it done a certain way. You know, you had three points and then you do this and then you tell a joke and then you tell a little bit more and you had to go about 45 minutes. I had a real hard time doing that. But I, I sort of got through it and I'd go practice in my pastor's office and he'd listen and then critique you and send the stuff off to the national. But it, as I was getting close to being ordained, uh, I learned a lot about being in a denomination and about pastors, um, how uh, the ordained ones work, how they did their policies and procedures, how they did evangelism and money and stuff. But they, the leadership in our district got very frightened because uh, I was moving in an area that they didn't quite like to be in, which was dealing with witches and hardcore stuff that they said Christians couldn't have, And but yet I was doing deliverance work on Christians and passing some things out that the assembly said you couldn't have, but they were there. So... I parted ways, and um, then I just sort of became a teacher, and um, I took people in my home that were Satanists and witches, bad people. They stole from me, tried to kill me, poison me, and trying to help them. And um, but then I learned how I had to be a teacher, and I had to be on the phone, talk. You know, I had to understand things. So um, didn't get a lot of sleep. I'm either studying or talking to God, praying for people. And uh, then I went back as a pastor uh, into the jail doing Bible studies, which was really interesting in the women's. Then I'd go in the main jail here at where the bars are and do individual uh, stuff. If I'd help a licensed counselor, she couldn't help the lady. And then I'd go in and do... Uh, on the floors in the hardcore jail part with the harder people. And uh, then I took uh, pastoral training to be a, a hospital chaplain, paid money to do that, about four or five months, paid a lot of money. And you learn about how to help people die, and you are there with the doctors, the nurses. When people are dying, I'm in the emergency room, very comfortable with it, uh, with death and dying and stuff, and, you know, life and death situations. And praying with people, so I did the chaplaincy training. I volunteered in the local community mental health center, working with uh, those that the police arrest and um, put in what they call crisis stabilizations that are and work with the long-term ones. Um, uh, volunteered in a lot of communities with sexual abuse. Um, became a child advocate. Guardian ad litem with child abuse with the eyes and ears for a judge, very comfortable in a courtroom, the lawyers, and um, did that, was a state victim's advocate, worked hospice, 
you know, to help people die and go through that process. I was always in the community, volunteering, learning, growing, as well as volunteering with uh, churches and trying to uh, help people. And people would call me on the phone and um, they, they'd want help. And, you know, I did it all for free. I wasn't to charge anything. So that's sort of how it's evolved into now I make videos on YouTube and I teach that way and um, just tell my stories, which is a lot of them. Does that help? Yes, very informative. Thank you. I was making a career change. Now, and as Annie will tell you, my story is I grew up with a mother who was mentally ill, brother running away. I don't know what's going on. Nobody's talking. Don't even get the birds and the bees. And uh, But I wanted to know truth. I read true stories, biographies, when I was younger, always reading, because p- parents weren't talking about anything. And, of course, schools, that was, you know, back in the 50s. When you want to help people, you first have to want to know the truth, even if you're just wanting to help yourself. Say, I know there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but I've got to find out the truth. That's the starting point for healing. I, I, you know, we grow up in a family. Most of it's a mess. We don't know why our parents do what they do. We don't know why things happen to us the way they did. We don't know. And nobody's talking. I grew up in a military family, which has a code of silence because uh, everything is always reflected back to the husband. And if anything gets back, you're having marital problems or family problems, the husband may not get promoted or he might get kicked out, so you don't talk. And uh, I was an uh, officer's daughter. You don't definitely don't talk. But I grew up around military men who were fighters, protectors. They'd go lay their lives down. Uh, I grew up with airplanes and bombs and officers and uh, I learned about dedication to nations, to helping people. You know, World War II, was, my dad actually worked with General Patton. So I have that protective uh, warrior-type identity, wanting to know truth. So you start there, even if you something happened to you, you go, what happened? Why would people do this? So I started reading true stories. And there's a lot of, like, you can go to any bookstore or something. There's true stories about sexual abuse as children. There's movies out there about trauma that happens to children and what uh, Three Faces of Eve, she wasn't sexually abused. True story. Uh, some of her videos, uh, the lady that was actually on YouTube showing her different personalities, but it was a trauma, kissing her dead grandmother. And uh, Sybil. And then there were other ones. So I started seeing that. Now, in mental health counseling, at the master's level, a master's counselor does not get training, educated experience in working with multiple personalities due to trauma, childhood trauma. That's your PhDs. And when you're in that system of mental health counseling, there's a pecking order. And you had to understand the World Health Organization and American... Psychiatric Association and who's in charge, who's the boss, 
who sets all because we worked out of the book called the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and how medicine worked because that's what the mental health counselor steps into the world of medicine. You had to understand medicine, the language of medicine, which is numbers, to diagnose a broken arm has a certain number. Each depression has a certain number, and if depression was something else, has a certain number. Because that's how the psychiatrist talked in the files and to the prescriptions, to the insurance company. Had to learn all that. So it's a different world, and then the, the psychiatrist basically, they go, hmm, something's biologically imbalanced. We're going to get some medicine to you. And you don't have a brain tumor, you haven't had a head concussion, uh, don't have brain cancer. So your chemicals that's all in the brain is all messed up. So if we balance that out with medicine, you'll be able to be clear thinking. Then I'll pass you on to the psychologist who used to work for the psychiatrist before they became independent. They used to do all the testing, neuropsych.